you have livestock that are being just murdered. Like you, you know that the wolves are always a threat in general because they want to come and eat. But now you have something that is wantonly murdering your livestock. How are you going to deal with it? You tell me what you're going to do. Jay's going to bring me back. Give me a plus one to attack. Oh, oh, oh. I want to come back to the dice. Whoa, oh, oh, oh. I think I need some good advice. I need a roleplay rescue, oh yeah. I need a roleplay rescue, oh yeah, oh yeah. Hello rescuers, my name is Che Webster and this is Roleplay Rescue, the podcast about rediscovering our lost roleplaying hobby. This is the fifth in a sequence of conversations I've been having with various friends within the role-playing games community. This episode continues my quest to find the game I really want to play, focused today upon the question of how to achieve greater otherworld immersion and build the kind of otherworld that matters to us. My guest is, of course, Daniel Jones. Daniel is the originator of the term Otherworld Immersion and a proponent of the idea that changing the methodology of our role-playing games is the key to changing the experience we have at the table. For those who don't know him, Daniel is a published author, game designer, philosopher, podcaster, check out the Primeval Fantasy podcast, and the man behind the Eudaimonic Geekery blog. If you want to hear our earlier conversations about Otherworld Immersion, please check out Season 6, Episode 10, Season 9, Episode 14, and Season 10, Episode 19. Big thanks in advance to Daniel for coming back to talk to me. As ever, it was an illuminating and fascinating conversation, and I hope you find something of interest in here too. This is Season 11, Episode 22, Otherworlds with Daniel Jones. Hi Daniel, it's good to see you again. Uh, it's been a while; it's been since April, I think. Um, but yeah, how are you? I'm still alive. <laughs> that's that's where I'm setting the bar. Okay, well, <laughs> that's a win. Uh, every day you're breathing, if you ask me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well, thanks for coming back on, and uh, thanks for really, you know, agreeing to have a little bit of a recorded conversation. I wanted to sort of talk to you again as well, uh, anyway, because at the moment I'm you know, for the benefit of listeners, but also for your benefit. I'm having a sequence of conversations with various friends in the gaming community um, as I seek to figure out exactly how to run the game I really want to play, which is the thing I've been talking about for two or three years now. Um, and as you know, you've been a big part of like helping me on that journey. Uh, we especially in the past speaking about other world immersion, which is something I'd really like to come back to. Um, but yeah, just so you're aware, really, I've had uh, a weird few months. I, I, I changed. Well, I made a career move. So I moved um, into a new school and to higher responsibility, which is obviously eating up a lot of my time and a lot of my mental energy. Um, and obviously, I've been recovering from the sort of mental health crisis I had a couple of years ago. And that's sort of you know been OK up and down, but generally getting better. Um, but what I had to do is sort of let go of various games. So right now, I'm not playing anything um i've got um but i've got a few things that i'm sort of buzzing around and what i've been wanting and trying to do is sort of build the game that i really want to run you know um and so that's been a that's been a little bit of a journey because and i guess the two things i want to talk to you about really were uh, on the one hand 
um, figuring out that world and building it and sort of I know that we share a lot of uh, similar tastes in terms of like the uh, kind of fantasy that we'd like um, in my case namely being sort of lower powered probably magical but lower so <laughs> uh, a little bit maybe a bit more dark fantasy for me um, and then on the other hand I want to talk a little bit about as well how to draw the players in how to encourage their and develop their um, I guess the two elements of other world immersion, which are about immersing them in the world, that's truly other world immersion, but I also those character immersion is probably the best way of, of speaking about it, how to encourage them to be in character as much as possible, which obviously facilitates deeper, greater sense of other world immersion. Mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah, that's where I'm at. And I, was, I wanted to sort of consult with you really on that and sort of, and go so i don't know where you want to start whether it be with the world or whether it be with what we do with players but that would be the two lovely things i'd love to have a chat about yeah sure um for people who are seeking the same kind of experience that we're talking about here where mm. you really are transported elsewhere whether it's into the other world and and a part of that would be transported into your character's point of view um probably the number one is um restraining all uh information that you give to the players on every level mm -hmm. so regardless of how rich the tapestry of your world um it, it would be a mistake to create a, uh, a gaming world or any any secondary world and then to give that to players mm -hmm. i think that would be a first uh, very common mistake because it is the journey of discovery that creates the, uh, the, the right psychological stew, right? Mm -hmm. um, so instead of here's the world and here are these monsters and here's what they do and here's how they react to these other monsters and to the humans, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I mean, that from the very beginning uh, pretty much ruins what we're trying to accomplish. And so, um, uh, again, methodology is primary. Mm. So um, whenever I start off uh, with the players um, and I put them in the world, uh, they only know what that character would perceive within a five-mile radius. Like, mm -hmm. here's your village. Here's what you know. And they never get to uh, look behind the curtain. Mm. And I, I maintain that regardless of how long they've been uh, playing in that world. Mm. They only know what their characters happen to know, which is to some degree always uh, flawed. It's always incorrect to some degree. Mm. Um, you, you may know that the goblins and orcs are um, you know, ravenous, amoral monsters, but uh, that's all that you know because that's all your character knows or all yeah. that your character believes and so forth mm. so um and and it's hard because when a gm creates a, a really in-depth world the temptation is oh i want to share all these uh neat bits with everyone mm. that that's a very natural inclination um but if you do that you're you're damaging the experience that could be coming for the players so uh, I would say uh, the next step, once the players are in the world, would be uh, multiple uh, solo sessions with that player. Mm 
So I prefer something around around 20 hours per player solo before ever integrating with other players mm-hmm. and um, going through. Um, usually we kind of skim over childhood mm-hmm. um, and start the ball rolling with events. And, you know, maybe they start when that when that character's 15 years old and, and they're playing through 15, 16, 17. And it really roots them into their little world. Mm. Uh, the experiences they have uh, in their homes, their villages, their cities. Um, and you have to have concrete elements inside there. So they have their best friends, they have their family, their cousins, etc. And they have names and, and they have personalities. And um, that kind of stuff really helps. It really roots uh, them. It really uh, creates a nourishing experience for, you know, for the later events that are coming. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. It's great overview as well. And I guess, um, I mean, in the past, we've talked a lot about like the core methodological stuff about bringing rules as much as possible out of the way of the players and behind the screen. And we've talked a lot about uh, a little bit about actually the perspective, which we'll come back to as well. Like how do you describe from the player's perspective or character's perspective? You know, we'll come back to that a little bit, but yeah, uh, just to sort of remind ourselves, I guess that, that those are those initial kind of practical um, methodological decisions that we talked about way back are like absolutely the first step. Yeah, they really are. Uh, so if you if you look at conventional gameplay, um, you roll up your character, you have classes to choose from, skills, etc. And from using that that method, your your player already knows way too much mm. because now that player is exposed to all the classes, all of the skills and spells, especially Ma- magic is the biggest problem. Um, and so, yeah, I, I shy away from all of that. My method is, um, if you come to me and you say, I want to play a spellcaster, assuming that it fits into, you know, the world and, and so forth, um, I will only relate to you what your character knows about your magic. And mm-hmm. it's going to be, it's going to be vague and it's going to be imperfect. And, um, you'll find out what's incorrect in the during your character's experiences mm-hmm. um, so I think that's vital if, if you really want to maximize this sense of a uh, player to character unity of perspective you've got to um, you've got to keep the players in the dark and that's a good thing so I mean obviously that's not going to appeal to many many kinds of gamers it's mm-hmm. not going to appeal to those who and you know, we've talked before about the the chimera of role-playing games. You have yeah. the wargaming, tactical, strategy, et cetera, and then you have the true make-believe experience. And again, you can mix those together and you can have some kind of an ex- a gaming experience, mm. but um, it, it can't be as far on the make-believe end of the spectrum if you keep introducing the, the meta. The yeah. two just their oil and water yeah absolutely i'm um, actually although 
uh, a previous conversation I had just very recently with um, another friend called Simon Williams, who's uh, he's a podcaster. He does the Legend of Bones podcast, but he was talking about and he's solo gaming. I mean, he's just him um, as opposed to sort of one-to-one playing when you use that term. But he's talking about how for him um to get you know, he's really seeking out of the world emerging which he's getting increasingly through his play and what he's doing just on his own um but um the key for him is no meta and no plot armor um you know that the, absolutely the dice rule uh when he is making those roles and adjudicating and he's got referee hat on um you know and that's very separate he's trying to minimize his time in referee hat actually I mean, you're using his, his the mechanisms of his game when he needs to, but otherwise trying to go with the flow of like narrative and what seems logical and reasonable. Um, and then the last second point is meta, which I think is kind of touching on what you're saying, that actually every single time you step outside of the other world, uh, you know, then you break that and you've got to then, the effort of getting back in is quite large. Yeah. And it's quite interesting to see because obviously – uh, my take, I, I like you in the past, I've enjoyed wargaming and what have you, but I'm increasingly of the view that I sort of need to park that particular, uh, you know, element of my of my tastes. And uh, I mean, it's it, wargaming wise, it's kind of can be fun, right? But it stops being a role playing experience because I'm yeah. no people aren't making decisions in character anymore, they're making tactical decisions based on what's optimal within the game, right? right. And, it, and there is a massive difference between those two things. Yeah, two totally different experiences. Mm. And uh, yeah, we talked before about switching cost. And um, so again, it's fine for people who really want to eat both meals at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, pe- people who can, you know, have cheesecake and, you know, pizza one bite okay. after the other. If, if that's what you like, I don't. So yeah, uh, switching cost is a huge deal. And so you have to be, willing to try this new thing to see if it generates this new experience mm. and i'm i'm confident it does uh it's simply that most people regardless of how much they say they want uh, the deeper other world immersion make-believe experience um they're not willing to change methods and so they can't they, they can't find out if they're going to get it mm. um yeah I, I was talking with someone recently about it's a shame that we have this global term role-playing when we're trying to talk about how to get to different experiences because the term itself is so broad that it's it's misleading we may Mm -hmm. as well just call it a game and and admit that we're talking about different experiences so that we avoid conflicts yeah no absolutely now, I, I I think back in April we spoke about it. So back um, around that time, I was playing on the Saturday game. We were playing in a sort of pretty immersed game. Um, I won't get into all the details of it, but basically the, the players had created some characters which were entirely narratively described, so there were no numbers for them at all. And I ran everything behind the screen, literally everything, all of the combat roles and everything, and I was making every dice roll for them. And we had several sessions. I don't know, a massive amount, maybe four or five sessions as a sort of small group of three guys and me trying this experiment out. They had a really good time. I had a really good time, right up until a point where my I kind of ran out of world um do you know what i mean so like there were i'd created a very small kind of like location starting location and kind of a a few kind of areas around and it was enough to sort of play around with the concept but the issue that i had is like 
finding for me a process by which I can create the world and build a world that actually is deep enough. Um, because the other thing I, it's not a bad thing at all, but the thing I learned and realized from that is that I actually needed way more detail than I think the regular kind of game has, if that makes sense. And it's not um, as in like nitpicky, incredible descriptive stuff. It was just that I needed more material because the players were going to do things and go to places and try and interact in ways that actually were deeper than, um, you know, the sort of regular kind of play, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, So it, it was, it was weird, but of course, you know, with the pressures of what was going on, the time limitations and where I was at in my, my head at the time, it was really hard. So yeah, I think that the, the sort of next step in this for me is to, you know, really flesh out uh, this world um, and then be more confident in a position where I can actually go deeper. I mean, you mentioned earlier, like the idea of the family members and the community and all of those things. And of course, you know, yes, I probably should have had more one-on-one time with each of the players and explored all of that. And that would have helped. So that's a great first tip. Um, but yeah, I'm wondering like, what is it that we need to do to sort of provide enough um for the for the players to you know if you're going to immerse right it has to be deeper water if that makes sense yeah i I feel like so many worlds and the sort of common games are very shallow um you know they are like literally backdrops for the action of these heroic characters are doing stuff and most games don't really give much of a crap about actually what's going on there why it's there and what it all means um but obviously we are coming from the absolute other end of the spectrum right and um, for me, it's got to be a world that is makes some sense and exists in and in that uh, much deeper kind of sense. Um, so anyway, I'll stop watching and let you <laughs> respond. Right. So um, the first step, uh, of course, would be to you know identify that the, what you're making is for the kind of players who want that kind of experience, right? So yeah. if you, you don't want to mismatch from the beginning, I, mm-hmm. I'm not going to create uh, and expose you to uh, a deep, um, like living world, a perpetual world with its own cause and effect, you know, moving through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if all you want to do is have it as a backdrop for your next combat mm-hmm. or, you know, um, or, you know, people love uh, heists, and so if all you want to do is have a heist, um, I, I can create a, a, a little city with town guards. Uh, that's, but it's, it's got a feeling of artificiality to it. Um, mm. which again, it's only, it's only, it's only, uh, coming back to, you know, what the, what your group wants. All right. So, um, for me, uh, what I love the most is, um, a, a deeply primeval world. Mm. where um, it has its own history. Uh, the closest I can come would be uh, Valerian's, mm-hmm. uh, Tolkien's Valerian First and Second Age, yeah. um, focusing on the perspective of humans, mm-hmm. uh, because by comparison, they are very uh, primitive. They don't have cities. Um, what they have as far as steel or iron comes from elves and dwarves mm-hmm. uh and they you know they pick things up but I, i'm really in love with that feeling of a very ancient world that has not been unified 
the word politics doesn't exist for them. Mm-hmm. Um, people live pretty much in a tiny radius of their village, and mm-hmm. that's their psychological world. Yeah. And there's this massive world going on outside of that, which is uh, shifting all kinds of things that are so far out of their experience and so far out of uh, their ability to calculate and prepare for uh, that it, it automatically, when you do that, you've created the shroud of mystery that we want. Hmm. Um, so if, if you were to start up a new character, you may live in a village of 110 people and everyone is concerned with food gathering and clothes and um, protection. And that's, that's life. That's life for everyone. Hmm. And um, everyone, I, I think my opinion is that these kinds of worlds, everyone has to be deeply supernaturalist. Yeah. They are always looking for what does this spirit uh, want? The spirit in the stream over there, we can never offend that spirit or, yeah. you know, the, the God of the mountain over there. And so we as modernists uh, mock supernaturalists uh, because as being silly and ignorant. But I, I think that, you know, that kind of worldview where there really is a spirit in the stream um fits perfectly and the gm should make it real yeah with without any rules that ever, ever say okay there's a spirit in the stream and you have to do x y and z and there therefore you'll get this bonus and this bonus and i mean again you've immediately that that's the conventional play style mm. and that immediately leads to um metagaming and it will it will just damage the experience uh, we're after, right? Hmm. So um, that's the kind of world I'm, I'm in love with is uh, where the, the human experience um, is very primitive. Uh, I'm, I'm in love with the concept of these more ancient, much more powerful races like hmm. uh, Tolkien's uh, Noldor or all of his elves through the world, but they're inaccessible to Mm. the world of men you can't get to them you can't go to them for help they're not your buddy um and they're they're not your you know foster father figure etc um and the sense that there are these magnificent beings all through the world but they're all perilous Mm. so you know uh the fairy beings in in the forests we may hold them in awe, but we uh, we should be terrified of them. Mm. Uh, it's it's like a haunted house. I I would love to go to a haunted house uh, if I believed in hauntings, um, but I should be terrified of what they would do, you know, either physically or spiritually to me, uh, you know, possessions and so forth. Mm. Um, yeah, horror is a is a good example. Looking at at movies and the difference between let's say a slasher movie Mm -hmm. and uh, a supernatural horror movie and a slasher movie. It's to me, it's just kind of a a fun, silly uh, hacking 
movie. Kind of like it's like Shaun of the Dead without all the clever lines, right? Yeah. It 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 doesn't feel like what I think of as horror at all. Um in, in a horror movie, people are shocked. They're thrown into this state of existential dread by virtue of seeing someone float uh one foot off of the ground. So from one perspective, all that's happening is they're floating a foot off the ground, but it's everything that that implies that brings the horror. Mm. Here's something that cannot happen that is happening. Mm. And here's something that is linked with demons and and devils and and so forth. And um, so in our worlds, whenever you have a supernatural occurrence of anything, we want to foster this uh, sense for the players that they should be terrified. That And, and it requires their cooperation. It, it doesn't require melodrama. It doesn't mm. require you know, them to start acting silly. Um, but you know, uh, when they are aware that something supernatural is coming to them or something supernatural is over you know, behind those hills, um, they should be filled with dread, with trepidation, and they should not want to go there. It's the opposite of, oh, there could be something cool there. Let's go check it out. <laughs> or uh, again, to go, you know, to step into the effects of the meta. Um, you know, I have a plus one sword, and so that will hurt ghosts. Uh, and you, you immediately ruined the experience. You popped the bubble of mm-hmm. what we want. So. Um, all those kinds of things go into the world building and the uh, exposure the players are going to have to the world. And it sounds like what you want to do is, I mean, you, you alluded earlier in talking about the, the, the one-on-one sessions, the solo sessions that you'd have with people that you would you know, introduce them to all of the NPCs, uh, if you like, if we can use that term, all the other characters in the village that they interact with over a period of years so that um, I presume in that sense you are creating those those people and giving them some kind of sense of personality and purpose and and role and then having those interactions with the with the char- the players you know in character over a series of sessions is that correct yeah that's right and instead of having uh, a player write up a huge backstory I prefer to have them give me a bullet point list of their personality, where they want this character to go, kind of a skeleton. And then those multiple solo sessions are creating the backstory in play. So I guess it's not really a backstory. It's it's pre-integration story Yeah. Be- before all the other players get together and, and start on their quest, you know, mm. whatever whatever's happening. And I think that's much more rich than having someone write up an elaborate uh, backstory for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And also, of course, the problem with giving um, space to write an elaborate backstory is that players can do all sorts of things that may not fit. And of course, if, again, if you're trying to keep all the information away from them, uh, they're not going to have enough to know how to fit it together. So in a way, exactly. it's, it's not helpful to say, hey, go away and write a backstory. You, you have to introduce them to things in an organic way. That's right. It has to be um, a left-hand, uh, right-hand experience. It has to be. Mm. You're, you're pulling one ring of the ladder and then I pull up the other saying, well, here's the world and it needs to go in this direction. Mm. Uh, so someone can't say, okay, I want to be, uh, 
a lich uh, with who's a wizard who uh, you know has come back to life because automatically that's way too much power. So um, yeah, restraint is is a huge factor in well, it's a huge factor in everything. Keeping the characters mortal hmm. and keeping them afraid of you know getting killed by by anyone. Hmm. Um, they e- even the greatest warriors uh, in the world. Uh, can be killed by anyone if they're caught in the wrong circumstance. An arrow through the back of, you know, Conan is the same thing as a farmer. Hmm. It goes through your lung, it goes through your heart, you're dead. Um, and so, um, restraint in, in every, in every facet as you're introducing a character into the world, that sense that they're not, uh, a Marvel comic book character at all. Um, I, I wouldn't enjoy playing in that, uh, or GMing in that. I would, mm. I would always want every person to be flesh and blood because, because mm. when we lose that, I, I think it tears away from the human experience too far. Like I can envision being, you know, 1970 Bruce Lee, mm-hmm. uh, but even he is just mortal. You know, mm. He wins in one-on-one fights, um, you know, almost 100% of the time in the right context. If you mug him on the street with a baseball bat, he, he may die. So um, I, I think that's a part of it. The world itself, when I create a world, uh, I do go really large. And I look at the history of each region. I usually start with who was there first and who was the most powerful there first. Mm-hmm. So for me, uh, some variation on the elves and, uh, you know, the evil forces, the, the Melkors of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I play out centuries and millennia. I, I usually have a world that by the time humans exist, eons have passed and layers of ruins uh, are covered in the world. Mm. Um, and then when I bring humans in, um, I have eons of them living in fear, uh, for all the repercussions, what's been happening. Mm. Um, and then that fear gets inherited even after, you know, the big baddies have been eliminated or moved on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have all of this uncertainty for each of the characters, uh, all of these old legends which uh, have been distorted by the eons, of course. Um, but there, uh, that sense of this is a dangerous world should always be there, I think. Mm. Uh, I don't like, this is why I, I aim toward the primeval. I don't want a sophisticated, charted out world uh, where you can look at a world map and say, um, well, we know what happened there 800 years ago and ever since. I think that that, that deflates the experience. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's cool. All right. So loads of stuff there for, you know, to ponder over, which is really, really good. I guess that the first sort of thing that pops to mind, and I'm, I'm kind of going to voice the, the sort of typical player, I suppose, but um, doesn't it sound a bit dull uh, playing in my village for like 20 hours um, presumably, you know, doing some farming. Um, I don't know, whatever it is, going hunting. I mean, how how do you make that? 
I mean, I guess on one level, we're looking for players who are interested in becoming more like their character and aren't interested in like, you know, the, the typical adventurer, you know, action hero story thing going on immediately. But nonetheless, the question has to be like, how do you make this you know, enjoyable and engaging and challenging, I guess? Right. So uh, just like any uh, any novel that you read, they don't uh, characters in the story have to always be uh, challenged with something. Mm. So, uh, and it can be tiny scale, you know, compared to what we think of. So on the far extreme, we have the Avengers, uh, who are saving the world. Um, you can rein it in to, so you're, you have your 15 year old and whatever challenges would be serious to your 15 year old character. Uh, are now right there in front of you. So it's not going to be you go out and plow the field today. Let's see how well you do. That's that would of course be silly, but it could be that there is a what we call a rabid boar. So it would be mm -hmm. a boar that they are sure is possessed of an evil spirit, mm -hmm. and it is killing your um, your livestock or uh, or a rabid wolf. Um, that you are sure is possessed of, you know, whatever. And so these are serious 15-year-old challenges. You are responsible for protecting your livestock. And mm -hmm. you have your spear and you have your bow. And it's just you. This is, this is one of the real advantages of having tiny populations. There's no such thing as an army. There's no such thing as a town guard. There's you and your relatives. And so... Um, for example, as we're playing this along by um, with your 15-year-old, uh, you have livestock that are being just murdered. Like, mm. you, you know that the wolves are always a threat in general because they want to come and eat. But now you have something that is wantonly murdering your livestock. How are you going to deal with it? You tell me what you're going to do. And mm. so... Um, you have your stakes, you know, without your livestock, your village goes hungry, right? And you have you and you have two of your cousins and your uncle and your, you know, whatever. Um, and that's it. And, and it becomes, you know, regardless of how tiny the stakes are on paper, it becomes interesting and visceral because mm. you're, you're responsible mm. and you might die because this rabid wolf may kill you, right? Mm. And so, yeah, it's never, it's always about, here's the backdrop of the mundane world, and here's what you have to deal with within your mundane world. So it sounds like the, the sessions would be a sort of extended montage of various key crises, I suppose. Is that where yes. you put it? So like yes. a session might be like dealing with the wolf this time. Then it might be that there's um, the the river spirit is angry and uh, you've been, you and the shaman or whatever, you've been asked by the shaman to go down there and help pacify. I don't know, whatever, you know, it is. Maybe you're, one of your friends is, you know, somewhat, something to involve with that in some way and you have to go and help them deal with that you know whatever right. it is and then the next one might be you actually sent out to do some hunting and you have to go and you know 
track down deer or whatever it is and then you run into some kind of complication is that what you know that kind of idea that you would you would set up a series of sessions or a series of um encounters essential situations i suppose that they then have to resolve and the real joy of it it sounds like is on the one hand it is you were going for the visceral kind of sense of reality and this sort of the challenge of can I survive in this in this dangerous world? On the other hand, is the the freedom that role playing games give us this idea that I can make these choices and that, you know as as a referee, you're not sitting there with any kind of answers. You're presenting the situation, and it's up to the players to figure out what they want to do and deal with the consequences of that. That's right. Uh, in, in novel writing, you learn that there always needs to be a tension on the characters. Hmm. And when it's done well, the tension generates interest and excitement. Hmm. Um, when it's done poorly, it becomes perfunctory. Um, so you see in lots of TV shows, um, especially with the advent of Netflix, uh, let's say, where when they make a show, they won't make a two and a half hour show. It's got to be a series of 10 episodes that are one hour each. Mm. And it's filled with garbage filler. Mm. It's art artificial drama, artificial uh, conflict. And that, that just bores the hell out of me right away. So mm. um, like writing 101 says you have to keep the tension up, whether the tension is you're investigating or you're doing or you're escaping uh, whatever it is, you have to keep the tension up. Uh, in the context we're talking about, we want that tension to fit the world and to fit the, the context for each character. So uh, you, make the, you make the player really care about the village, right? They really care about all their relatives. Um, I mean, destroying a village of 80 people is many times more um i guess existentially threatening than i'm going to destroy the world mm. that's so abstract or it's so out there that you can't feel it mm -hmm. but if you make a player love their village and then you threaten even to kill a half dozen people in that village the player is immediately interested mm. um like they, the player will drop everything. And if you just think about, you know, where you grew up, I grew up in a rural community and I know, I knew everyone there and it mm. was home. And so if, if anything threatened that, I would, you know, do everything to protect that. And it, it's much more tactile. Like yeah. I, I know, you know, that neighbor, I've known them my whole life as opposed to save the city. Well, okay, I'll save the city, but I don't feel it, right? Mm. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because the, the mainstream out there is always talking about running these big epic games with epic stakes and all that stuff. And actually, yeah. when you start thinking about it, the epic stuff is so abstract. Um, yeah. And that's why I think, for me, it's never really attracted me at all. I mean, apart from the fact that they usually end up railroading their players through a sort of fixed sequence of events anyway. Um, which you know for me defeats the object of, of a role playing game. But what has never really appealed is you know I get that that there's big things going on out there, but I would rather have I mean on the epic end I suppose I would rather have an encounter with a single terrifying monster, um, and an interesting 
terrifying monster. I mean, you know, if we even we take it to the largest level, we tend to think about something like Draconic um, is kind of a you know a, a very very terrifying monster, and if, with the intelligence that we usually imply with all of that as well, that would be really interesting, especially to have an ongoing um, series of interactions with it. And it's not a case of we're going to go in there with our plus five swords and cut it down in a single fight. You know, it becomes an existential threat to everything that you know that this thing That's is right. even in the area. And it started by feeding on your cattle and it's going to now feed on your family members. And yeah. you know, what the heck are you going to do about that? That's exactly that's epic enough, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. If you if you it's all about context. So <clears throat> you have the context of just small villages and let's say that. Uh, the other players, see, let's say you have four players and um, they all come from the same region. They all have their own small village. And the traditional uh, stereotypical way of playing is your level one characters and, okay, here's a threat. Here's a, a cave full of goblins. And you start off and you kill the goblins and now you're more powerful and you can move up to the orcs and now you mm. can move up to this monster. But what if the cave of goblins is in your mind epic? Mm. So the, the, the one uh, rabid wolf was terrifying for you when you were 15, but the idea of fighting a goblin was just outlandish to you and now there's a cave of goblins and they somehow have their eyeball on your villages mm. that that is uh that would just be terrifying and everyone would in my mind i would be so engaged in that scenario i have to protect my village there's no king to go to there's no mm. army there's no wizard there's no fireball there's me and i've got my spear mm. um and so, you know, when you set the stakes, when you frame it like that, it becomes really powerful. And you don't need bloated Avengers style action, quote unquote. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And it sounds like as well, I mean, the opportunity here from the referee side, if you like, is to double down on and characterizing those, like those goblins in that cave, you know, and a handful of them. You can give them really. I guess dark and twisted and nasty kind of personality if you want to go to that route. And you can spend time in in showing the players just what these creatures are about. You know? Um I can imagine this, you know, the them you coming across the mutilated, not just like they've been taking your sheep and things like that, but mutilated remains and things like that. If you wanted to really hype on this kind of cruelty that, you know, we typically stereotypically have with goblins, for example. And and you can have all sorts of weird stuff that they they're able, seem able to do as well. Like their tracks suddenly disappear, for example. Where, how did that happen? You know, and you know, does yep. this imply some other amazing power or some kind of weird fey trick or other? You know, and all of those kinds of. I guess they're small details in some ways, but they are actually like they become now the sort of focus in terms of investigating, tracking, and dealing with these creatures. Yeah. This then this goes back to why it's so vital that there be no information given to the players. They don't get to know what a goblin is. Yeah. Uh, and the word itself uh, has to be uh, stripped of previous connotations. <laughs> so um, we have to go back to our fairy tales and, and mm -hmm. all the things a goblin could be. Uh, you know, I was indoctrinated with, you know, basic D&D. &D, here's what a goblin is. 
I know how many hit points he has. I know how weak mm-hmm. he is. I know one hit and he's probably dead, et cetera. All that has to be washed away. And you have to generate a whole new tapestry of mystery. So like, like what you just described is perfect. They, they don't know what a goblin is aside from some word that got passed down through legend of a horrible little monster. Mm-hmm. And, um, that it's not an, it's not an animal. It's a creature of evil. Um, one of the, the main things for me is I believe that the, the fantasy world I need has true good and true evil. And they're two mm. sources uh, of, of everything you see in the world. So creatures like goblins, um, they're not just little assholes. They're, they're little creatures of malevolence who have some, you know, seed of, of true evil in them. And so uh, the things they do, their motivation is to spread evil. It's not, they're not just hungry. Hmm. Uh, they're not just trying to get by, um, you know, misunderstood, misunderstood farmers down the road. They are true evil. Yeah, like wanting to spread fear because fear is something that they enjoy or they somehow yeah. you know, thrive from doing. They want to um, perhaps uh, unleash evil spirits, then maybe that's the cause of various diseases in your village and things like that. They want to, you know, they will summon up all sorts of darkness to, you know, that kind of idea. And I'm, I'm with you. I feel like um, actually contrary to the current, again, the current vibes out there in the regular kind of gaming world, I actually think that, things of true malevolence and things of true evil has value. But again, we're going back to a pre-modern, pre-scientific worldview. That's right. And 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 living that and, and assuming that that is real and true because it's interesting for starters, but also because it draws clear lines which cause the sort of tension and fear that our players will need to be able to engage with what we're doing. That's right. And and those visceral experiences, that's the point of all of this, mm. uh, is to generate those feelings for the players and to help them. I mean, if, if they're not helping in generating it, it's going to fall. So mm. you have to have player buy-in for people who want that experience, and then together they generate it. So there's, you know, I've seen that so many times uh, when a campaign is ongoing and I have magic be extremely rare and the first hint of there's something supernatural happening here stops all the players in their tracks mm-hmm. because they know that it's not just, you know, uh, uh, magic missile is just as good as a crossbow and it's nothing to worry about. If, if that's your, your gaming system, you have hamstrung the project. So magic has to be this thing that people don't understand, can't control, and can do anything to you. Hmm. So if, if you look at um, even silly movies, so let's take Blair Witch. So the magic of Blair Witch was you never, well, you never saw her. You never saw a spell, quote unquote, be passed, what, uh, be cast. What you saw was three adults who were supernaturally lost and could not get unlost. Hmm. And they were spiraling toward, you know, the Blair Witch house to be murdered. Right. Hmm. And so you can't, 
you can't put stats on that. You can't look at that and say, okay, here's the numbers. And it, it, let's say that we're we're playing this, and I say, okay, Che, roll to see if you stay lost or not. I've just ruined the entire experience. Hmm. Uh, conversely, if I'm doing all the rolling uh, behind the screens and just relaying to you, yeah, you think you've been here before, and you think to get out you need to go that way, which you think is north. And, okay, so six hours later you've done that. You're now back at the same spot. And, I mean, that, I mean, just the, so you have the mechanics. The mechanics definitely matter for, but the methodology is much more important Mm. because uh, the GM takes the crunch and then just relays to the player what they're experiencing. And that's how we generate the the feelings we want. Mm. Yeah, for me, I mean, I've I've come to realize over the past sort of year or two that there's an, inv- an absolute inversion of the way that people typically think about these games. You know, typically people seem to think about, uh, they talk about when you're setting up a game, you talk about the system of game you want to play. Um, and then there's a sort of an assumed set of methodology that no one ever questions. And then the world is, it's really not even a world, it's setting. It is literally a set within which scenes kind of get played out it's in its most literal sense and it's not to be critical of this because if people enjoy this it's up to them and that's fine but it's not what i want it's just that epitomizing this is the sort of um lazy gm thing where it's you know as prep he sits down and comes up with five to ten uh cool scenes in it can picture in his head and then you sort of string them together randomly um, by based on what the players do, you know, like, oh, I've come thinking about this big epic waterfall that's pouring out of the mouth of this giant on a on a on a cliff, which sounds great. And you describe that and it would evoke a certain sort of imagery, but in the end it's just a backdrop to another fight or another quick interaction with an NPC. And then we're moving on to the next glitzy set. You know, it's like right. theater um yeah. in the head, you know, but yeah the world itself isn't isn't a thing isn't real you know and i know that the world isn't real but you know what i mean it doesn't feel like it has a sense of its own reality it's not a secondary world um and and i guess what i'm looking for i think what you're looking for is a a sense that the 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 gm ref has has kind of has created and thought about this in this huge backdrop really and and it has depth and it has a sense of kind of its own internal consistency and then the players are entering that, and we are assuming that it's real. Um, yeah, if yeah, it, totally. If the secondary world doesn't feel as real as the primary world, it's just all you're doing is swapping out multiple assumptions. Yeah. Uh, so in in our world, uh, there is no magic. It's just if there is, uh, we have no reason for believing in it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't believe in it. Uh, but in this secondary world, to not believe in magic is insane. Mm. It, it's like it, if you go back, you know, 5000 years, virtually 100 percent of the world knows that the sun moves and the earth is flat. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that's just reality. And you call it reality. And nowadays it's inverted. You would call someone insane for ignoring, mm. you know, the past you know, 300 years of data. Right. Mm. So it, it has to feel real. It has to have a life of its own. Now, I, that doesn't mean that as the game go, is going on, I'm looking at every region and saying, I wonder what's happening over here 800 miles from the PCs where 
they will never go. I don't bother with that. I, I know globally what's happening. And the greater the chances that the, the players are going to go to a region, then I start working on that other region, what's mm. happening. And yeah. so I, I don't I don't flesh out in detail the entire world um, all the way down to, to the grass. I, I know what's happening generally. Yeah. And I'll I'll get to work on it if I think you're going to go there or if I think it matters. Hmm. So often what I have is multiple big players in the world, big forces. You have your Melkors and your Saurons mm-hmm. um, and they're doing things. And if we're in a in a particular setting where they are doing things, which is really going to push, it's going to push events, it's going to radiate for hundreds of miles, then I may actually take the time to delve into it. You know, mm-hmm. how how successful is this big baddie against his current enemies who are not the players? Um, how does that resolve? Because that may ripple out. Mm-hmm. And sometimes just getting a ripple effect is really interesting for the players. When they, I mean, it, it, it has to be that they know that I'm doing a good faith cause and effect in the whole world mm. as opposed to like the, what you were just describing where essentially the players are waiting for their cues to step into the batting cage yeah and so if if an event uh ripples out to the players my players know i didn't contrive that for their benefit mm. it's just an event that happened in the world and they don't have to act on it i'm not sending out the uh the worm on the hook yeah. uh so here's this event guys you're supposed to go bite this hook now they, they know it's not and so I mean, that comes down to how well the players know their gm how much on the same page you are about the mm. expectations for play style and so forth yeah. and i guess it, you know these the, yeah, those things become the sorts of they're going on in the background if they get curious about it obviously they can start backtracking that up and and go but uh ultimately yeah you know like um i don't know whether it's the over you know maybe there's some destructive event that causes like wildlife to move and it's stampeding through their their territory or whatever and causes you know a short-term destructive kind of effect um you know they will probably just be like okay that happened <laughs> pick up right. the pieces um but actually you know someone gets curious about well why is that that hasn't happened here like in hundreds of years or thousands of years no one's ever heard of that happening that's weird you know fair enough but of course that's the prerogative of the player isn't it to mm-hmm. you know and you you've given them a sense of the world being alive and 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 moving on yeah and i guess that's what yeah that's what i seek is that thing where i can provide them with this sense of verisimilitude i suppose there's the sense that this is a real thing yeah um, that's great I'm really conscious of the time. I just kind of like, you know, it's been great talking. I mean, almost an hour, I think, just like whizzing around there already. But I just, um, I guess one thing I wanted to talk about before we finish was a little bit about keeping the player perspective really tight, like what you tell them. Have you got any tips or tricks on that? Yeah, so it'll start off, uh, based on the players, it starts off by finding out what their presuppositions are about gaming. If you have someone who's only played, let's say, D&D uh, of any edition, you've got to find out what their presuppositions about the world are. Mm. And uh, so your first step is, in, in the case of my world, 
I would have to have a conversation saying all those uh, tropes you picked up uh, from all those campaigns you played, that's not this world. And here's this world. And then show them pictures of, uh, or, or draw them pictures of, here's, let's say, Britain, 3000 BC. And here's the way people live and here's the way people function. And there's no such thing as X, Y, and Z. There's no government that doesn't, that word doesn't exist. There's no king. There's no army. There's no law. There's only, you know, the customs of your people. So it's a long, um, a long process, perhaps, of getting on the same page about the global realities of the world, right? Mm -hmm. And so you try and pull them back and we're all, we're all just doing what we can. I mean, I'm not an expert on 3000 BC Britain by any stretch. I have a good idea of what's not there. I have mm. a good idea of modernity versus pre-modernity. And so, um, you know, we're, we're doing our best to draw these pictures and to generate this feeling amongst ourselves of a primitive world. And after that's been done, then uh, zooming into um, just village life and region life. So you have your village, you're aware of all the villages surrounding you within a, a 12 mile radius. You know that there are three other villages like yours and you're all primarily focused on eating and clothing and shelter and protection. Mm. Um, and everything you present to the to each player as, as well as you can has to just be bound up with their character's experiences their character's life um and forgetting everything meta they never get to see uh world maps they never get to see region maps hmm. uh any map you would give them about their life would be just a few mile radius hmm. and it has to stay that way and then as they're going then you're describing new things to them. So perpetually keeping them bound up with their characters, point of view, experiences, and, and presuppositions. Hmm. So when when you're playing and I say to you, that is a, uh, a pack of wolves who are clearly dominated by some evil spirit, that's what you believe and that's, what, that's the way your character talks. Hmm. Um, and, you know, of course, we always translate things into modern um, categories. So, I, you know, you as Che would say, okay, that they have rabies. Mm. But what if rabies really does not exist in the secondary world? It's no longer just linguistic at that point. It's, it's, a, it's an ontological state that they are possessed by a pack of evil spirits, right? Mm. So... Never letting yourself slip into modernity uh, and never letting yourself slip into the meta as you're as you're moving forward. It it um, it tightens the, uh, the the little uh, wicker, uh, the little wicker canoe you're on. Right. Uh, so that you keep floating. Right. Mm -hmm. I remember a while ago you were you talked. I think um, in one of our early conversations, I can't remember if it was one of the recorded ones or not. But you you spoke about like the uh, magical effects as well. And I remember you talking about like a charm, and describing that through the as from the perspective of the player. So they actually, this person seemed perfectly lovely and friendly, 
and absolutely you know, and and they you know you are in, interacting the the players are interacting with that that um npc or whatever as if they were their kind of best friend um and you know that the, there was nothing at all maybe even there's the illusion of beauty and everything that's been cast around as well about this you know if we if we imagine the archetypal kind of hag type thing you know going on here I'm gonna bait you in but it's all in that first person experience of and well i guess it's the second person description isn't it if you see this and you exp- you know this is what you're what you're seeing and hearing um how hard is that actually in practice i mean um i don't think it's hard at all uh if the players uh i mean the goal here is to fool the players the goal mm-hmm. here is not to say to the players okay um you're best friends with with this guy or with this lady now yeah. uh because that ruins it instead mm. you know you know the character's personalities and what that character would think of as good traits mm. as um you know so, someone who they would naturally like and then you simply play the character to perfectly fit whatever they would find most appealing uh so like a helpless old man who is clever and and a witty, but clearly needs your protection, clearly is no threat to you or anyone whatsoever. And you just play that that way and you do. I mean, it requires some subtlety, mm-hmm. um, but I, I think it's quite easy to pull off if you know your players and if you know how to present it. Um, and I, I, I did this to a player a long time ago where it was essentially some kind of a, a Nosferatu vampire who was casting these spells on the, on the character. And uh, he was, he was totally pulled in to here's this woman who has been persecuted and hunted for no reason by these evil men mm. who are still hunting her. And the player was fully uh, sucked into this. And so when the other characters uh, who were hunting this Nosferatu showed up, uh, he sees them as the bad guys who are trying to murder this helpless woman for you know various reasons. And it, it works. And it I mean, it's been a, well over a decade and we still laugh about that campaign yeah. uh, and because, you know, he died. Uh, everyone died, <laughs> but it, it was it was worth it. Yeah, it was it was a great experience. And so, uh, I mean, that may be on the far end of, of things that happen, but doing that to various degrees, where each uh, character's perspective is reality, uh, as opposed to roll the dice to see if you believe that you you've just mm. you've just ruined it yeah. for me at that point. Yeah. No, absolutely and you know, of course you know whether they resisted that is behind the screen isn't it and, you know yeah absolutely and, and that can also create some really interesting interactions so let's say that there are four players and one character let's say has some kind of a, a greater mental resistance if he sees through it um it has to be different conversations and uh, that that's where it gets really tricky. You have to have separate conversations with people mm. so that, you know, in that context, um, 
the other players don't know what the fourth player is perceiving or thinking mm. and it and then it be, then it gets role played out and that gets really interesting mm. because you you never would uh say as in the conventional sense okay you three failed you're saved mm. and are charmed you uh you are not charmed because now you instead of having the players play out what they believe they're having to pretend they believe certain things mm. and that's just not it's not enriching it, it's not as fun at all for me mm. yeah it's a step removed isn't it and we're looking for that yeah you know, they believe and the experience that they're having is as close to their character's experience as possible yeah that's right yeah it's brilliant, Daniel. Thank you very, very much for sort of talking through some of that stuff. And I think there's loads there for all of us to sort of think about, I suppose. And, you know, like, is this what we want? I think one of the reasons I want to have this conversation is because I'm looking for, like, how to enrich my games. And so you know, taking from your experience is great. But I'm also feeling like I think talking through this helps that maybe there's people here listening to us and and thinking, no, I really don't fancy that. And that's okay. But the yeah. other thing, I'm hoping that there's someone who's sitting there going, that sounds really cool. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's a night and day experience. Yeah, but I, I suspect, and I think we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but I suspect there are more people out there who would like to give this a go uh, than perhaps we realize. I know there are people who at least periodically crave it, uh, but they, they think of the change as being too big or too much. Uh, and... There's also wanting to placate other players. So if you have mm. four people, if three of them are like, wow, I, I really would like that. But if you have one player who says, no, that's that's not the way it's supposed to be done, usually the other three will be like, well, okay, well, let's keep the peace. And that's too bad because they're, they're sacrificing what could be a really enriching experience. Mm. So, that, yeah, there's lots of obstacles to keep people from trying it. Um, I wish people would try it to see if they really want it. Because I used to be very much wanting both at the same time. Yeah. I wanted my steak and my cheesecake at the same time because mm -hmm. I like both. But I realized that I want them separately. Um, yeah. And so I, I I don't want that meta experience at all when I'm when I'm playing my role playing games. Yeah, and I've been going through that similar kind of realization that you know you try and mix it up a bit to varying degrees and shifting it one way and one. When I actually went whole hog for those four or five sessions with the guys, it was just great. It was really, really good. And if it's about confidence in the end and kind of like time to prep and going for it. But, um, you know, the tips and things we're talking about today are really helpful in that regard. And again, even then I hadn't gone, I don't think I'd gone primeval enough. Um, you know, I was kind of looking at a Roman era, I guess, flavor to things, you know, that felt yeah, like um, it, it really, I mean, that's just my personal uh, flavor. What When I, I mean, Silmarillion is my favorite book mm. and first and second age Valerian. That's what I love the most. Yeah. So it, it doesn't have to be, but I, I've noticed that the, the goal seems to be escaping modernity mm. and Rome, even though it's in the ancient world is highly modernic. They yeah. control everything. They know so much more than they should. And by escaping Rome, by going way before Rome, way before Samaria, I can keep that feeling in the whole world. So you can mm. have a kingdom, but everything is compartmentalized. So even if you have a kingdom that is massive by their standards, 100,000 people, 
it's compartmentalized so that a hundred miles away, they don't even know about that canker. Hmm. Like there's no world trade. There's no, you know, all these elements. So yeah. I, yeah, I mean, obviously I keep, I keep beating that same drum. Escaping modernity is a big part of the rich fantasy experience I want. Hmm. I mean, for me, I'm finding myself increasingly tempted right back to the prehistoric, you know, I mean, I don't know if I want to go full ice age, but you know, it is sort of somewhere in there that really early 35,000 years ago up to the 10,000 years ago when we yeah. get the first of those big kind of civilizations starting to, to sort of form in you know, Sumeria and what have you. Um, somewhere in there is probably my yeah. my sweet spot. And, um, me too. Yeah, and, me uh, too. And, I think, and I think like with some magic and some serious spiritual reality, um, which is very exciting as well in of itself, you know, and to characterize like each of your local spirits and and bring them into play over a period as well would be a lot of fun, I think. Yeah, um, it is. You know, these very, and again, you can play with them as sort of fickle and and weird and, you know, a little bit hard to sort of understand. I think there's a lot, to, a rich kind of thing there to go explore. And, and, and I mean, not just as a player, but as a, as a GM, I think you can really get into that. Um, so that's really exciting. All right. Thanks, Daniel. Um, this is absolutely brilliant again talking to you. So thank you very, very much. And um, yeah, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add before we go, but thanks. No, I don't think so. Now that my my brain is back um, or comparatively back, uh, I'll be up for more conversations. Great. Yeah. Thanks so much. All right. Take care. Big thank you once again to Daniel from Primeval Fantasy for coming and sharing his ideas with us. I'll stick the link to his podcast and blog in the show notes. Please do go check them out. If you have any questions or comments, I'd love to hear from you. Call in via speakpipe.com slash rescue and leave a message. Once again, thank you to all the Roleplay Rescue patrons who support the show through patreon.com slash rpgrescue. Thank you also to John from Tale of the Manticore for the Roleplay Rescue theme music. Most of all, thank you to you for showing up and listening. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. Game on. <laughs>